9-11, this is it, September 11th, 2001. But 9-11, the phrase itself just helps every one of us go back there and remember where we were, if we were old enough to remember, we'll never forget that day. Reminds us of the dark day when Islamic terrorists flew planes into towers and into the Pentagon and, and one plane was headed toward the White House. Had the passengers not intervened and brought it down in a field in Pennsylvania. And uh, it was a day kind of like Pearl Harbor that will live in infamy. There's so many stories that are associated with that day. I mean, on Focus on the Family radio broadcast this last week, they had just a whole litany of stories, and people were talking about it. And one guy who had formed Firefighters for Christ in 1998, he said he believes God orchestrated that because they were ready on 9-11, and they set up booths, uh, tables for prayer, for firefighters, first responders, and they saw many of them come to Christ. And in the years since, he said they've seen firefighters and families come to know Christ through firefighters for Christ. One person shared how there have been hundreds of churches planted in New York City, believe it or not, since then as a response to the needs uh, in that city. Our son Rocky was working just a few blocks from Ground Zero and he got off the subway that morning and saw one tower in flames and saw the plane hit the other tower and like so many others walked home that day. It's etched in our memory and today we look back across the nation, I mean there's commentaries, there's, there's uh, ceremonies, there's documentaries that really call us back to that. It's good to look back and uh, that's why they built the World Trade Center Memorial in New York City. It's good to look back because we need to be reminded to pray for those who lost loved ones that day, to really give thanks for the heroes that were born that day, those who really stood out and just walked into uh, harm's way and gave their lives, so many of them, because they were willing to respond and care. And we also look back to remember to be vigilant, to realize there's an enemy that wants to destroy our nation and our way of life. It's, it's good as a nation to do so. It's good as God's people to do so regularly as well. And we see in the Old Testament that God again and again instructed his people to erect memorials so they would remember and be able to relate this to their children, what had transpired. I could cite so many, but I'll mention one this morning, which we'll use as a springboard for our looking back this past year. And this particular memorial comes out of the book of Exodus. And uh, it's, in ex uh, it's, it's, it's the time of the Exodus. And here's the principle that I want to relate. It's in your outline in your bulletin. They were stacking rocks on a riverbank, by the way, as a memorial. And stacking rocks helps us remember great things the Lord has done. Let me give you some background to this passage we're going to consider briefly. You know, if you've read the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, that the people of Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years, 430 years, enslaved by the Egyptians. God raised up a leader, Moses, who led them out of captivity 
through the parted waters of the Red Sea and into the wilderness so that they could go into the land of promise, the land of Canaan. But they didn't believe they could take that land. And because of their unbelief, they were sentenced to wander around the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Now it's 40 years later, and Moses has died, and the baton has been passed to Joshua, and he's going to lead them into this promised land. But they come to the edge, the border, the Jordan River. It's in flood stage. The whole valley is underwater. Now what are they going to do? It's a test of faith. And so Joshua is directed by the Lord to take the Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol of the presence of the Lord, and to have the priest take that to the edge of the waters. And they did that, but it wasn't until they stepped into the water that the water stopped flowing and stacked up above them, and they were able to go out into the center with the Ark of the Covenant and stand there while the rest of the nation crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. We'll pick it up there, and it says this. Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Those twelve stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God with, uh, forever. Now I want you to notice a couple things. This wasn't Joshua's idea to have a memorial. This was God's idea. And, and the plan wasn't to highlight Joshua's great leadership. No. It was to point to the Lord and to remind the peoples around them that he's the great and mighty God, and to call the people of Israel to fear the Lord and to walk in his ways, and that they might relate this to their children. And here's the thing. They had a visible reminder of what this was really about and where the power came from. Because when they passed by that Ark of the Covenant, which they knew was the symbolic presence of the Lord, they knew that it was the presence and the power of the Lord that had stopped these waters and allowed them to cross into this land of promise. That was a declaration that that memorial would forever symbolize to them. We need those kind of reminders and memorials. And so I'm praying that this message will be just one stack of rocks that will remind us what God has done in lives this past year from Kaimuki to the ends of the earth because of our ministry. But it's his presence and its power that has brought it to pass. So we'll refer to some of these things. And I'm going to actually refer to the three points of our 2020 vision to, to ask the question, well, 
how has God helped us in each of these areas this past year? I don't have time to go into great detail, but I'll mention some elements that relate to each of these three points. Here's the first. This past year, the Lord has helped us grow deep and strong as God's family through small groups and intergenerational relationships, displaying our island people in the mosaic of Christ's kingdom. I'll mention three brief ways in which I believe he's done that. One of them is that we've been able to move forward in our strategic discipleship through the implementation of a thing we call Simple Church. A lot of factors came together to help us focus on a thing called Simple Church. Actually, a couple guys wrote a book called Simple Church years ago, and um, it's been very helpful to us. They defined a Simple Church as a congregation designed around a straightforward and strategic process that moves people through the stages of spiritual growth. You know how you can just go to church for year after year, decade after decade, and think, well, that's what being a disciple is all about. Not exactly. There's more to it than that. We need to grow just as Jesus' disciples made steps of growth. And so that's what we're focused on doing. And so we designed a clear and simple path of discipleship that we want everyone to grow through. And we've expressed it in this banner over here with... Uh, not that one, sorry. Uh, on the left, on, the, on your right here, Keala O Yesu, the path of Jesus. And we put it in the form of a baseball diamond so you'd remember there's four bases. And also, because on the bases, in a baseball diamond, you don't just stay on one base. There's movement. And so we say, okay, people usually enter a church through worship. We, we want to love God and we want to express that love in worship and being in the Word of God. And, and that's not enough. We want to challenge those in worship. Okay, great, but now let's get into an Ohana group. Let's connect with one another through Bible study and caring in our Ohana groups. Growth really happens there. And we're not yet satisfied with that. Let's help everyone determine their spiritual gifts and a ministry that will bring glory to God and joyfully serve the Lord to meet the needs in our church community, and world through ministry teams. And as wonderful as that is, we're not there yet, we need to do what was on Jesus' heart, and that is reach the lost. And so we do this by sharing the good news of Jesus with our island neighbors in the world. So we want to equip every person in this church to pray for lost people, to relate, build relationships with lost people in their family, in their workplace, in various relationships, to know their testimony, and to be able to share the good news of Jesus. We're going to focus on those last two next year in particular, and I'll talk more about that next week. But we've made progress this year in implementing this simple church. Now, here's the thing. A lot of churches measure how they're doing by, well, how many came to worship service? But that doesn't really tell you much. Or they may even add, well, how many are in our small groups? That's better. But what we want to do is measure movement. How many moved from worship into Ohana groups? And how many of them were actually equipped to serve and found a ministry that was making a difference? And how many of them actually learned to care about and share the good news with lost people? So we measure 
horizontally rather than just those vertical silos. That's one of the things. And another thing that we are doing with this strategy of simple church is trying to focus. And that means to abandon programs and activities that keep us from doing that which will help us along this path. We actually want people to have time to relate to their neighbors so they're not doing four, four different ministries in the church, but they don't have time to know their neighbors. Each of these is important, and so we want to get rid of peripheral activities that just sap people's time. Now, when that happens, folks, it's not always popular. Uh, which programs do we let go? And we've had to abandon some this last year. And... Um, doesn't make the leadership real popular sometimes because programs can become, well, we get emotionally involved. But what we've, we even struggle this within our, with this in our staff meetings. What are we going to do to just focus? And so we've worked with you and tried to communicate that to you this last year because we really want to grow in being strategic in this discipleship path. Simple church is simple, but it's not easy. A second way we've tried to grow deep and strong this last year is through our Believe series. Right after Vision Weekend last year, we moved into 30 weeks of a series of messages on Believe. Every weekend we talked about 10 doctrines for 10 weeks, uh, what we should believe as followers of Christ from the Word of God, what, how we should think. Then we had 10 weeks on Okay, how do we act? How do we live out these beliefs? And then we had 10 weeks on what we're becoming as we follow Christ. But, but I not only shared messages each weekend, we encouraged each of you to open your Bible at least four times a week and we, with the scriptures uh, and look at those areas of doctrine or teaching and uh, become people who'd be in the Word on a daily basis. And many of you took the challenge and began to read regularly and just have a quiet time with the Lord. And then we also, in addition to that daily reading, said, now register for an Ohana group, get in there where you can talk about these things, pray for one another, and encourage one another to live these things out. 400 of you, 400 of our people registered and entered Ohana groups last year. And that's 82% of our congregation. So we really felt like that was great. Uh, we really, God helped us to grow deep and strong in the word and in worship through that Believe series. Another area that was significant last year related to Charlie and Lisette. They came to be with us two and a half years ago and uh, served in worship beautifully. And I've uh, got a picture of them because in early January, we ordained them into the Christian ministry. And uh, it was June when we asked Charlie to slide over to youth ministry. We miss him in worship, right? But he's doing a wonderful job partnering with Ernie and Megan, who are part-time in youth ministry, and with our volunteers in that youth ministry. They're over there right now. It's about 40 to 50 young people. And Charlie's going to help us in this coming year become more intergenerational where our young people are connected more so to the larger church 
and stick with their faith once they leave this church. That's so important to us, and you'll hear more about that next week and next year for sure. But I think that was really significant, and we made some progress in that way when it comes to growing deep and strong as God's family in those various ways. Secondly, I believe the Lord helped us this last year to build a home on this block to serve our community and house our growing family. If you've been around a while, you know that the Lord enabled us to expand this worship center back in the year 2000 we moved in. Uh, Prior to that, uh, we had begun to uh, purchase properties, and over the last seven, or excuse me, over the last 20 years, we've purchased seven of the eight outstanding properties on this block with a vision to expand our school and our church ministries. There's a booklet on the lanai, by the way, in those racks which I prepared last year called Believe, and it tells the story of God's provision of these and through your generosity and just amazing timing, which really is miraculous how God has brought this to pass. The church has grown, but the school has grown as well. I mean, we added a middle school in 1995. We duplicated elementary classes up through the eighth grade through those years. Mark Gallagher has been a wonderful principal uh, who's really led the vision on that. We added a high school four years ago and had our first graduating class this last May, six graduates. And uh, that's a new beginning that I think we'll see great things happen with. Well, along the way, it was back in 2008, we developed a master plan for the block as we saw God was fulfilling that vision to have a base for ministry here and came to the church family Norman Hong with Group 70 came and we did a charrette where the church and the school just shared what would, what would they need to serve this community. And out of that came that master plan. It's on our website. It's also out on the wall there. But uh, the latest that has happened, we've not only been able to purchase those properties, by the way, God's provided so that we've been able to continually build and expand these properties. And the latest one that happened was this past Friday morning when we dedicated the Clarence T.C. Ching Education Center right here on the corner. 4.7 million project that was the culmination of much prayer and sacrificial giving. It was a wonderful ceremony and um, it was just an exciting dedication. We had people come from the community. And here's something that I think is significant about this. Consultants for capital campaigns to churches say people in a church will give to build a worship center, but if you ask them to give for a school that's attached to that church, generally people don't like to do that because maybe their children are grown or maybe they don't have kids in that school. But here's what happened. You folks did, as Un mentioned. You gave sacrificially and generously because you saw the vision to raise up Christian leaders through our school that will impact this state, these islands, and the nation. And I believe it will happen. And so you deserve a lot of credit for that as God gets the glory through that sacrifice. God, just a very brief clip that I want you to hear from our principal, Mark Gallagher, uh, from Friday morning. Sounds not that good, so we'll keep it short.
giving to this project designated that 5% of their giving goes to build a school in Nairobi, Kenya. So today, as we think about the opportunities this facility provided, we, through their generosity, know that there is a school operating halfway around the world that's also touching That was actually a video of Mark Gallagher, Beyond the Children. We had a virus invade our computers on Friday, and so we've been kind of wrestling with that this weekend. But Mark had some wonderful words thanking the church family and, and giving praise to all the people that have contributed. The Clarence C. C. Ching uh, Foundation donated $1.5 to the project. First time they've ever donated to any other than a Catholic school. And that's a story in itself, a relationship that w goes way back to Pastor Gallagher, my predecessor, uh, had with one of the persons who would become uh, part of that foundation board, Peter Ng. Well, Mark mentioned in his remarks that as our, part of our capital campaign, his vision, our venture, we not only wanted to build here, but over there. And we designated 5% of the donations for a capital campaign to go to Nairobi, Kenya through Christian Missionary Fellowship, whom we partner with. We've been there, some of us, to the slum of Mathare Valley. It's the oldest slum in, outside of Nairobi. It has a million people in it. Fifteen years ago, there were 600 of those kids that were able to go to school. The rest were just uh, relegated to lifelong poverty. But uh, there was an African woman and her husband who caught a vision to start a preschool. Christian Missionary Fellowship began to partner with them and churches across the mainland, Christian churches. And now there have been 16 schools built. There's 13,000 children being educated uh, and learning to love Jesus along the way and their families as well. And so when we did this campaign, we said to them, how can we help? And they said, well, there's two ways, significant ways you could help. One... We want to train people vocationally. We, we, a lot of our kids are now going on to the university, but there are men and women in these slums, and some of the kids that need to go into vocational training, they have no way to do that. We have, they bought a high school, an abandoned high school with four buildings, each about a football field long, and they had carpentry equipment, welding equipment, and all kinds of equipment for women for sewing and crafts and what have you. And they wanted to put them in those buildings, but they said, if we do that, they'll just get ripped off right there in that slum. We need a wall built around that, if you could do that. And secondly, we've, they've taken uh, a lot of these middle school kids and high school kids 25 kilometers outside of Nairobi and, and built a school out there so they could learn. You can't believe how they, the slums are no place to really even concentrate or focus. And, but the boys' dorm burned down. They said, if you could help us build a dorm for these boys, we won't have to send them back to the slum. So out of our campaign, we've sent like $130,000 so far to help build a wall and the dormitory out there. And so I'll show you a couple of quick pictures. This is, I think I will, yeah. There's the wall around the perimeter of those four buildings. The next slide, you can see uh, just part of the building there, but they're large buildings on the left of this slide. The wall goes around that perimeter. And then uh, here's a picture of the dormitory. Doesn't look real fancy. That'll house 470 boys when it's completed. 
And in this next slide, you can see some of the kids out there, as well as a, a young woman training in sewing. They'll make money, they'll be able to actually employ others and uh, help others to prosper with a real spiritual connection. So we're excited that uh, we've been able to not only build a home on this block to serve our community, uh, but the world and to house our growing family. We've seen growth this last year in that. And then one more. I think the Lord this last year has helped us extend Jesus' love, acceptance, and forgiveness from Kaimuki to the ends of the earth in a lot of different ways. We have many missionaries that we've supported. We've got a strong missions emphasis, and we have missionaries serving uh, various parts of the world, which you'll see pictures of in a few moments. We also have local outreach that are reflected in these ministries uh, that go out into our community. Several years ago, Kaimuki in the annual Christmas parade asked our church to be the grand marshal because they saw we're making a difference in this community reaching out with Christ's love. We have an up-to-bat seminar that happens several times a year and through that we've seen many people put their faith in Christ and respond in baptism. We've also taken some unusual and more risky forays into evangelism this last year. For instance, uh, Mark Branner, a professor, theater prof up at UH, uh, produced a play which was conducted here called Freud's Last Session, where we saw C.S. Lewis debate Sigmund Freud, and the claims of Christ were beautifully presented, and many of our unchurched friends came and heard the gospel, and we've got ongoing conversations with them about that. Uh, we had a, a concert here the other night, a week ago, violins and, and uh, the, this piano, just a world-class concert where the testimonies of those musicians were, were woven through that and many came just to hear the claims of Christ that never go to church. And so we want to do more of that kind of thing as well. Our international ministry has continued to blossom and we've seen from its early beginning six years ago when uh, Alma Rowe reached out to the University of Hawaii East-West Center and invited some internationals, we've seen a flow of graduate students, visiting professors, and others come. And now it's primarily Chinese, and we have several small groups for them. They're invited to learn how to swim or go on a hike or whatever. They come to this church, many of them from atheistic, communistic backgrounds, but with a hunger for God in their hearts. And uh, so many of them have come to know Jesus and have gone back to China as leaders in their country with a real zeal for their newfound faith in the Savior. So those are just some snippets of how we've seen Christ's love, acceptance, and forgiveness extended from here to the ends of the earth. I want to just conclude with this principle. The Lord transforms rocks into living stones, building them into a temple of praise. Here's how Peter expressed it in the second chapter of his letter. Speaking of Jesus, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Before we came to Christ, we were just 
disconnected rocks in a religio-pagan world. But when we came to Christ, he fashioned us into a temple of praise as living stones. And as we live our lives for Christ, we're seeing him receive the praise. And God is glorified through that ministry. So, this past year, through this temple of praise, yeah, I think we've grown deeper and stronger. I think we've seen God just uh, help us to build this home on this block and to extend his love, acceptance, and forgiveness. So many of you say, yeah, I can relate to that. I've been part of it. Some of you might say, I really haven't. I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to feel invited, encouraged to step into the place where God wants you to be this coming year and follow this Keala Oyesu. We'll talk more about that next week because you can plug in and see God make a difference in your life and in the lives of others through your life and through our lives collectively. Next week we'll anticipate with faith what God is going to do. But I'll conclude this message by saying let's look back at some of the ministries that God has used in our community this past year.